Hello everyone, welcome to Revenue Revolutionaries. I'm your host, Dave Duke. I'm on a quest to learn from today's best revenue and customer leaders to learn what it takes to lead the most successful organizations. This week, I'm so excited to welcome Helen Baptist to the show. Helen is a COO of Path Factory out of Chicago. There's so many insights in our discussion. I had a lot of fun talking to Helen. She talks about this idea of intelligent speed, this notion of, of putting the customer in the middle of everything to ensure that you're serving your employees well, and what it takes to be a, a leader in, in this day and age, being transparent with team members, uh, finding new and creative ways to be connected during the pandemic. So much fun talking to Helen. I think you'll really find a lot of value in this discussion. I'm so excited to welcome Helm Baptist, COO of Path Factory, to Revenue Revolutionaries. Let's go. Hi, Helen. Welcome to Revenue Revolutionaries. So excited to be with you on the podcast. Hi, Dave. Nice to meet you. Great, great. I'm excited to be with you and uh, talk about revenue and the impact across the customer lifecycle. Yeah, let's let's get into it. I'm, I'm really excited to talk about your, your career journey and uh, really talk about what it takes to lead organizations. So uh, I really would love to start you know, talking about your career path. You've, um, you've, you've held a variety of roles uh, as you've They've landed in the COO capacity, and would love to kind of break that down a little bit. You know, as you reflect on your career path, what, what does it uh, take to to get to a COO role? Yeah, I, look, I started as a secretary in an ad agency back in the late eight eighty nines, early nineties, mm -hmm. and I think for me, where I am now has allowed me to kind of. Um, understand what it means to be the lowest man on the totem pole or woman on the totem pole and how each individual person creates value in their own individual role to make the bigger, greater good of the company. Mm -hmm. um, the role I have today is one where I actually oversee the whole customer life cycle. So not the traditional COO, the, the role is not really a title that I have at the moment, mm -hmm. the Delta. So it's CXO, if I, if I could say anything. So sales, marketing, and customer experience. So all of our solutions architects and our customer success, amazing customer success managers are on my team. Okay. And so from the moment we build awareness to the moment that customer churns or renews with us is everything in that life cycle and every workflow is under my purview. And I think the, the beauty of it is, is that, you know, I grew up in the age when direct mail was just coming of age and you know, McDonald's still did treat of the week. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, um, and they were very focused on that at that time on what the customer experience really was. When you went into McDonald's, they were taking care of your children, right? Or in the direct mail era, I was working with Canada Post and they had a stamp club for kids and they were trying to engage children in what is not really a sexy hobby, right? Stamp collecting for most, or flatly, I think it's called, but anyway. Uh, you know, I think that the idea of building experiences that are meaningful for customers first, mm -hmm. and then executing them internally so that you can create resume making moments is my philosophy. I love that. Um, okay. And so a resume making moment is I want people who want to work with me who want to create those resume making moments and then want to work with me again to create new ones. Mm -hmm. So I look at it from both the employee and the customer perspective in, in, throughout my team. 
That's awesome. And you, you, you highlight a couple of B2C companies, or at least one McDonald's there. And I've always been fascinated with uh, that, that translation of, of B2C uh, kind of ideas or strategies into B2B. You, it sounds like you think about that as well. Do you, do you kind of reflect on personal experiences that you're having with, with B2C brands and try to bring that into to, uh, your work? Yeah, at the end of the day, we're marketing to humans, right? Yeah. And I think the, the key is, is that uh, the human who delivers the B2B experience, so my CSMs or my salesperson is selling to a human first. Right. That is actually a consumer of our experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, there are some tactics that, you know, run in, in B2C like e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Is that infused in some of the stuff we're seeing today? Yes. Is it the greatest experience? No, because the B2C world has figured out that they have to give the consumer the attributes to make their own decisions to buy the right you know, ingredients for their family. Right. Um, I think B2B is a little bit behind in terms of leveraging um, attributes of content and data to mm-hmm. drive the same experiences on their website from a personalization perspective. So think Netflix, Amazon, we don't have that really today. Uh, on the B2B side. And so that's something that we're working towards. But I, you know, I, at the end of the day, everything that we do is customer centric first. That's, that's um, great. And our products are built by customers, not by us, right? So we can have a, an, an incubation of an idea, but that actually usually comes from a customer. And that's how we've built and scaled companies uh, in, in, in my career anyway. Do you have a perspective on, on, on how the market is evolving uh, as you think about uh, kind of catching up to B2C. I know there is, uh, there's been an explosion of, uh, from, from a content marketing standpoint, and it feels like we're stepping into some new ideas, uh, but what are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, look, I'll say I work for Path Factory and we're one of those people who've been incubating behind the scenes for about two years with AI and machine learning to really understand you know, the taxonomy, and this is like big language words that don't ask me what they mean, they're data science words, right? But yeah. the taxonomy and ontology of, of content and how customers consume that or B2B, uh, you know, buyers are, are consuming that information. And what are the key ways that we can accelerate that by putting the next best relevant piece of content in front of them? Mm-hmm. Think Amazon and Netflix again, but from a B2B perspective, we spent two years building a product. Um, because because it's much more difficult because there's no structured database in a PDF, right? Right, right. Or or in a video that somebody's creating or a commercial. So how do you get that content into a database that can then be analyzed and filtered, and the machines can learn what next is the right thing to serve up? Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting evolution. It's it's going to be really interesting to see where it goes in the next five to ten years. Yeah, you, um, I, think got, I think it got accelerated by COVID actually as well. Yeah. Because, yeah. because the, the human to human interaction is uh, people want to go incognito when they're doing the research, right? They don't want to be sold to, they want to buy from people they trust and they want to make sure that they've done all their homework. Like we bought a car and we never talked to a salesman, right? Yeah. Uh, we went and put our coin in the Carvana and picked up a car. Um, yeah. Right, you can do that homework without ever having to talk to somebody, and I think that's the B two B experience that people are experiencing want now more than ever. Yeah, I, I agree. As you as you think about uh, that now, taking that into your team and the way that you build a team, um, where do you where do you start? And what are what are your foundational principles when you, you think about the best ways to serve serve customers? 
Yeah, I, um, so I've, I've uh, worked with the same CEO for three different companies. So I've exited okay. twice um, and the third company and we've been put in uh, by the PE firm who has primary ownership on two, two firms, two port co's. And the operating philosophy we operate by is, and, and it's not rocket science, it's level five leadership from Jim Collins, right? So mm -hmm. humility, what's best for the company and the customer first over yourself. Um, next is intelligent speed. So moving at intelligent speed means you don't have to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. And if you're going for perfect, you're never going to go anywhere. That's analysis paralysis, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and that also then means that people need to be able to make their own decisions and be accountable for their decisions at low risk to the company and themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, that is a philosophical change for a lot of organizations when you first walk in and you're devastated in, right? Yeah. Uh, to either turn around or scale or whatever the, the mandate is. Um, but those two founding principles of intelligence, speed, um, level five leadership, and then obviously open, authentic, transparent communications without ego, right? So my first sentence is, you're not going to be invited to every meeting, <laughs> right? And yeah, you don't yeah. need to be in every meeting. And if you need to know, you'll be told. And we're not hiding things from you. And when I send you an email, don't read it with tone. Like, I'm just telling you the facts, right? Like, it, yeah. And everybody reads things with tone. But if I take that edge off at the beginning, people know that I'm an open book. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I can't answer some questions because they're confidential to an executive speaker uh, with investors. And so I, I tell them, I can't answer that question, you know? Um, yeah, but I think yeah. that, that is the, the, the ability to have those open, honest, frank, authentic communications is the key for us huge it's huge yeah and i, I love the, you know kind of setting expectations from the beginning you yeah. know this is this is how i work this is this is what you're going to get how does that or, or does it extend to to the customer experience um yeah how do you think uh, about that? yeah like we we don't take customers that we don't want to work with who aren't authentic and real with us right so people are starting to get cranky in negotiations and or disappear for six weeks and then come back and say i need a better deal without communicating you know, we don't want those kinds of people. We want people who want to work with us. Um, and I think that that's been a factor in terms of why we're seeing better, you know, retention rates uh, is because not every customer is the right fit for you and you're not the right fit for every customer. But those that are mutually aligned in terms of the way that they want to build a relationship, build trust, build value, um, you know, it, 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 it results in better results for everybody, better value for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I will say this, I, you know, I looked at, um, uh, I looked at your statement, which is on your website. And, and as I was preparing for this podcast podcast in our relationship, you know, yeah. you're thinking of sell on value, renew on, on proof. And I know it's trademark because I would steal it, <laughs> uh, but, but that, but that is, uh, you know, that is my mantra is, sell on value. So we do a lot of training with our sales folks, our, our BDRs even, um, around how, what does value look like? What's mm. value to the, the person buying? What's in it for them as an individual? Do they want to be on stage? Do they want to be, uh, get promoted? What, how, what's in it for them? How can we help them as an individual? But then also what's the value to the company? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and that value statement is actually transferred along the customer journey as we do transitions. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. Um, and, and I think that, the, you know, the idea of renew on proof, your statement, um, we have, uh, we have uh, QBRs that are named 
actually named speed to value, proof of value, continued value, and growth through value. Oh, man, that, that's so, awesome. That's the customer life cycle that we have. We've actually named our QBRs based on value um, and, and proof. And so, uh, you know, I, I really would like to steal your tagline. <laughs> well, we can continue that conversation for sure. And it's uh, you know, getting kind of a nice segue there. So, you know, there's this, this uh, kind of culture that you're trying to create that is grounded in kind of that human first approach, but really with this, this um, goal of being transparent internally and externally, but then as you you kind of align to messaging and how you want to work with customers. Like it, it does, it does carry over. So then you're, uh, but to your point of like uh, selling and delivering value, like you can only do that through being honest and transparent. Do, do you see it that way? Yeah. I, I, I look, I'm a firm believer of radical candor. Yeah. I've seen the Ted talks and, yeah. um, and you know, people know my, my expectation of my team and for our customers is that we all know where we stand at any given time. If you don't mm. like something, then you have to tell us because we can't fix it. Right. Uh, if you love us, then great. We'll take that too. Right. Uh, yeah. But, but I, and there are those, those opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, but I, you know, at any given time, I would like to have a pulse on the relationship with my customers, yeah. with our customers. And I, look, I, I just used a foul word in our language. We don't use the word my customer. It's mm -hmm. our customer. The company owns the customer. Oh, that's right. Uh, because the company gets paid by the customer and the company pays your salary and puts food on your table. And that revenue stream is the way that I teach my people to think is they're not your customer and they're not paying you directly. Yeah, um, right. Right, they're 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 putting food on your table, but they're not yours. They're right. the company, so you have to treat them with the respect and love that of the brand that we're trying to emulate as well. Very well said. And as you talk through that, you know, it really makes me 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 think about, you know, the the long term dynamic that 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 exists in the customer relationship. I mean, you really want to partner with a, another team and the individuals within that team for one year, of course, but two years, three years. And that's a, that's a commitment, but the only way to make that work is to, is to be real with each other, be honest, transparent, understand, you know, what's your words, uh, what, what does value actually look like? And I, I think, um, you know, many uh, can, can really get better there and stronger there, but you have to have the right attitude. You have to, you have to really uh, understand the importance of doing that as you enter these customer relationships. Yeah, and I think that they, that you know, when when I go into companies, my first month is spent diagnosing, right? Mm -hmm. um, and usually it's people, processes, technology, and I do that from two lenses. I do that from how are we behaving internally right now, and what is the perception from the customer? So I do a lot of talking to customers, past, lost, one, you know, um, and really my goal is to act like a customer when I come in to say what is the experience we need to have. Mm -hmm. In fact, at, at Path Factory, I was a customer of Path Factory in my last job at Item Master. So I really had a perspective mm -hmm. um, that allowed me a little bit different kind of feeling than any other company I've walked in. So I just, uh, yeah, looking at it from a customer's perspective, everything outside in, every single time, you know, my question is, well, how, how's the customer going to get this? What are we doing to make it easier? Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing that a lot of companies undervalue is the, the data that they have in their SaaS products. Mm. How are you leveraging that data to prove value, right? So mm -hmm. my first question is what analytics do we have on our product? 
-hmm. What's the value that a customer might see mm -hmm. so that we can then point to that? Is that a normal metric? And we're in the MarTech space and there are 8,000 MarTech companies, right? So right. is the metric that we're presenting one that is a generally accepted metric mm -hmm. or is it one that we've made up? Mm -hmm. And it's not believable, or, no, or nor would an executive ever buy it, right? Mm -hmm. If I was the marketing manager walking in with a metric. Um, there are st standard metrics that a CEO or COO would like to see, right? Right, right. Yeah. So its value in the data is how I've really done this in the last three companies is mm -hmm. really leveraging the data of the interaction of our customers and their customers in our platform. Yeah, really smart. And to your point, it's um, just necessary now to differentiate in, in a really competitive uh, MarTech space. Um, that's great. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. And if I'm not mistaken, you won an award recently, uh, a, a top 50 uh, woman, woman leader in, in SaaS, correct? Yes, I did, uh, which was a pleasant surprise. Um, That's fantastic. I've never won an award like that uh, before. And, uh, you know, somebody wrote on my LinkedIn page, I was ranked number 28. I don't think it was alphabetical or in any priority order, my opinion. But somebody said I was, uh, they got the first 27 wrong. So I really appreciate that. That was a former boss of mine. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I was thrilled to be amongst such, you know, highly regarded women at big international companies. And I'm in a, you know, a relatively small, startup mid 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 stage late stage startup and uh it it was nice to be recognized yeah well congrats congratulations and i i if you're open to it would love to unpack that just a little bit and it's it's really from this um from the, the angle of you know what what is this opportunity that you have to be a, a strong female leader in in sas um yeah any, any perspective there yeah, look, I started as a sec secretary and I worked for a you know group of people and one of the women told, called me a great sexitary. Uh, mm. Type like a mink and give good phone. And they, that's an inappropriateness, but <laughs> like that was back in the day. And, uh, yeah. um, and, and I've held that with me ever since is that she was my peer in, in terms of gender and I wasn't respected by her. And so I have been very self-conscious about the fact that I need to lift up others who are like me, who are not like me, mm -hmm. right? So I actually head up the DNI team uh, as the executive sponsor at Pathfinder okay. when Black Lives Matters happened. Yeah. I happen to have a, a biracial child who identifies as Black. Mm -hmm. And so I have a different perspective than probably most people would think because I have blonde hair, right? You see me, you see a blonde woman, who's in her 50s, I'll say that with my mouth covered. Um, but, you know, I think you don't know the person from the outside is what I would say. And I think that any time you have a moment to ask a personal question and connect on that human level, as we talk about, yeah. is something that I'm very conscious of. But the radical candor allows me to have both the separation of personal and professional, right? So sometimes you have to have the hard hitting conversations. And that's not a personal attack. That is the professional side. Um, but um, I'm very conscious of mentoring and lifting women up at any given time. More than 50% of my management team is woman-led. Nice. Um, uh, and particularly because we're in a STEM industry, right? We're in, in, in science and technology. Yeah. Um, and so I'm very conscious of how do I make sure that we have a blend of 
all representations of walks of life, whether it's gender, whether it's sexual identity, whether it's sexual preference, um, whether it's race. And so I, you know, I'm very conscious. I've trapped my, I, I had the good fortune of having parents who were in the mining business and mm -hmm. I traveled the world as a young child. And I was the minority living in the middle of a tropical village in Indonesia. Oh, wow. And so, you know, my perspective is a little bit different because I was picked on and, mm -hmm. you know, um, I was the, the odd person out with blonde hair. And so it, you know, it, I have experienced, um, some form of discrimination along the way, whether it's whatever it is. And, and so I, I'm very conscious of it and I do protect and raise up those who are different and everybody's different in their own unique way, but uh, I'm very conscious of promoting women. Well, good for you. And thank you for all that you're doing on that front. Um, what are there any um, kind of takeaways from your experience in you know, building the leadership team like you have kind of reflecting on personal experiences that you have for, for other male and, and female leaders? Yeah, I look, I inherited the team at Path Factory, the one that I have now. Mm -hmm. I inherited the team at Item Master when I was there. I, um, I, I do this exercise, which I think is a, is a bit of a unique experience. Um, so last year in November, when we could still travel, I took my leadership team away for mm -hmm. three days. And the first day we did an authenticity ex exercise where everybody had to put a slide together about themselves, not work, mm -hmm. about themselves. Um, and, and people revealed very meaningful connections. And so we had somebody say, I have mental health issues, or I lost my dad. And so I don't trust men and you know like there was a there's a lot of different conversations mm -hmm. and it was in a very trusted environment and none of that has come out mm -hmm. but it gives us a moment of grace when somebody's having a bad day because yeah. we have a different perspective now and so the authenticity between my leadership team changed instantly mm -hmm. uh, with with my path factory colleagues and i i you know was it an it was an experiment for me uh, to run that and it, and i I put myself out there too, in terms of who I am, where I come from. And um, I think that allows them to see me in a different light and build trust in a different way as well. It, it sounds like it really proved to be beneficial. Uh, and, you know, just, just creating that environment where you can step into that with a team um, is obviously necessary. Otherwise you can't get there, but um, it, it's great. Thank you for sharing that because it, you, you, um, you're going to need it as other leaders and kind of, digest some of those opportunities or that you think about doing some something new to hear others who've been there before is really helpful so yeah and, and, and if anybody wants the exercises written up um yeah. we've shared it with a couple of other companies and they've uh done it with their leadership teams and they've come back and said uh yeah this was really worthwhile and and i think it i think it, it's probably even more relevant now with all digital right so yeah yeah how do you build authentic relationships over camera like this you and i are talking and um you know, yeah, you get to see my home office, right? And you can see that my there's a military shadow box over my shoulder because my husband served. But yeah. other than that, you don't really know me. And so how can you take the time to break down the wall, the physical walls and get through the third dimension, if you will? Yeah. And it's it's definitely bubbling up in a lot of my conversations, like well, with the with the podcast and then otherwise, but it, it's a segue into my my next question, which is what what um has the uh, the pandemic kind of surfaced from that from that perspective and, and you're going down that path obviously it's it's um you, you gotta try some new things to get to know the people and on your team but then also uh, engage with them in a new way and, and maintain those relationships and communication 
um, just communication. So has there been anything else that you've tried uh, within the last several months because of the new dynamics? Yeah, so look, everybody, uh, so we've done some really good things actually and I'm pretty proud of the team. Uh, once, at, once a week, our CEO brings in a guest speaker, whether it's a customer or whether it's an industry expert. So this Friday, we have somebody coming in to talk about AI who used to work for IBM Watson. Oh, cool. uh, we've had somebody come in who was the president and CEO of Phoenix University as people are starting to think about remote learning for their children. Like those are interesting things. Um, some of the other things are pretty, you know, what you would expect to see. So we did guess the baby picture. Oh, nice. I love that. We did a spin on that, which was guess the desk. Oh. Uh, people send pictures of their desks. Uh, we did a scavenger hunt for a bridal shower. So people had to run and grab things and uh, there was a tie. And so it was one of the things that somebody had to find was a tie. Uh, and then the, the tie, the tiebreaker was who could tie the tie the fastest oh. uh, in, a, in a wins or not. Uh, so like we're doing different things to kind of engage people in their own environment. But um, I, you know, it, we see a lot and we're very lean on spending, right? We're trying mm -hmm. to be as uh, fiscally responsible with the money from our investors. So we're not spending money on, you know, uh, lots of things, but we did do a fun thing the other day, which was a virtual escape room. Mm, okay. Put people into teams and they could schedule it in a two week period and we'll figure out who the winner is that way. But we're trying lots of different things to make sure that people feel connected. I think the other thing is, is that we were a, an office centric com company in mm -hmm. Toronto. Um, and there were a few remote people and they didn't feel very connected to the company. Okay. Uh, yeah. Now that everybody's gone remote, everybody feels connected, but disconnected in a different way. Right. right so, right. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's a cultural change. It's a communication change. Uh, I collapsed all communications into two Slack channels for my oh, team, really? one for shared practices, best practices and shout outs and those kinds of things. And the other for support, right? Like, uh, in terms of tickets, questions, product information, so that the support team and the product team could be in that channel as well. And it's really um, broken down the silos of sharing best practices and, uh, and key learnings. That's a, excellent. Yeah, and what, what's kind of resonating with me is just, you gotta be creative when, when the dynamics change and, and try some new things, but you know, it's up to leaders to, to really step into that creativity and uh, but with the, the best interest of your team at heart. Um, yeah, and, and look, I will say this um, in full transparency, not every day is perfect for Helen Baptist, right? Uh, <laughs> and, and there are days when I can't be the cheerleader, but, but I can have that radical candor conversation with my leadership team and say, today's your day, I can't do it, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think because I've had that authenticity trust moment with my team, they know when I'm having a good day or a bad day. Yeah. And so they can read between the lines and not everybody on my team can read between the lines on my whole leadership team now, I think. And we know what things make people better, right? So I have somebody who works for me who, if he doesn't take a walk in the morning, he has a crappy day. And so I'm like, did you take your walk this morning, right? Um, no, I didn't. I didn't have time because I was doing it. I'm like, okay, so you're listening to recordings of phone calls? Go <laughs> walk and listen to them, right? Like you can yeah. you change the way you do things. But um, this but you're in tune with that. Like you, you got to know, like you know I, what it takes to, to have a, a good you know, dynamic every day. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot, but it's uh, but I can't be cheerleader every day, right? And that's right. the job of chief cheerleading officer, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I think the other thing is, um, 
making sure that people feel empowered to do things that are either um, creative for the betterment of their team mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. having ways for them to recognize and reward people mm -hmm. is part of it. So we actually have a recognition program that's run by from by achievers is the platform that we run it on. But okay. you know, people have the ways to celebrate small wins. And that's another founding principle for us. It's not all about the big deal, right? Like we we yeah. had some big deals in Q3. They're the biggest deals we've ever signed. And there was a lot of hooing and hawing about them. But we celebrated when somebody actually got a meeting booked, right? Nice. Uh, yeah. With a very tough call customer that they've been chasing for a while and they got a meeting booked. And so right. you got to celebrate the wins across the whole customer lifecycle. Totally. Uh, I love that. A couple more questions for you uh, before I let you go. Um, I'm always eager to uh, kind of learn from others relative to decision making. Um, so I've been asking this question and I'm eager to get your take. Um, have there... Are there, have there been moments throughout your career or, or recently uh, where you, you made a gut decision uh, more more than leveraging the data, um, where you just kind of you trusted your gut? Um, would you be able to share any any examples there? Yeah, look, I'll be very very transparent. I mean, we had to lay some people off at the, at, as COVID hit, right? And mm. those are very tough decisions. Yeah. And the data was telling me to let go of one or two people that I kept. Mm -hmm. uh, and the the way that they have uh, really turned things up into high gear um, and delivered, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not going to call any role or responsibility out because I don't want people to think about it. But I, you know, okay. the way that the team has really rallied after losing almost a third of our team, mm -hmm. um, and you know those couple of folks that weren't were on the list originally, but then they came back in because of got in conversations with other people. Yeah. Um, I don't get everything right, and data doesn't give me everything right all the time. Anyway, um, I've hired people, and gut was telling me I shouldn't have hired them, and then they didn't work out. Mm -hmm. um, you know that one I follow a lot more uh, stringently now that I've failed once or twice on that. Yeah. Uh, but you know. Um, Decision making is tough. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you have to take sometimes the personal side of those people out of it, especially when you're talking about hiring and laying people off or firing people. Uh, it's not something that I relish. And uh, it's hard. Yeah, it, it's hard. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Last question, and I I round out every conversation with this. Um, if you could have coffee with anyone, uh, who would it be and why? Um, I know that we're in the era of politics at the moment, and I the first and I didn't really want to go to a politician. So I, uh, but I am going to. Uh, there are two people that I would really like to talk to, and they are both British prime ministers. Okay. Uh, so both Winston Churchill and Margaret Thatcher uh, mm, okay. are on my list. Uh, Winston Churchill uh, obviously kept a company, a country calm during very very tough times. Um, and I would love to get his perspective of what's happening right now here oh, in the United States. It's fascinating. Right? Like that, that, that's yeah. why I was like, I'd like him. But Margaret Thatcher to me is one where I look at her and she broke glass ceilings. Mm, mm -hmm. And she was called the Iron Lady, but she never buckled on that either. And so how did she stay so resilient uh, when challenged? Um, and how did she manage herself amongst the boys club of politics? Mm. Um, I would really like to understand how that worked. Excellent. Excellent choices. <laughs> I wish you could have <laughs> those. <laughs> <into> it, but... 
That's great. Well, Helen, thank you so much for hanging out with me. I really appreciate the time. I've really enjoyed our conversation uh, and I wish you the best of luck with, with your work. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Helen was fantastic. What, what, a, what a conversation. Such a, a great perspective, a tremendous female leader. I love her take on candor and transparency and, and really thinking about the people and the roles and trying to lift um, women up um, in, in business as a whole. So big shout out to, to Helen Baptist of Path Factory for joining me today. Thank you for joining me as well. I can't wait to have you visit us for another episode of Revenue Revolutionary soon. This has been a Meta CX production.